0: hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's guest is Amelia Zachary. Amelia is here today to share her story as well as to change the conversation around victims, specifically around victims of sexual assault and mental health and mental illness. Uh, Amelia is just, was so encouraging to be around. She took the questions and, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't hesitate around them. And, uh, it was really encouraging for me. If you know of somebody uh, or you yourself have been a victim of something such as sexual assault, it's, it's very important that you reach out, that you share your story, and you get the help that you need, uh, which is what Amelia is an advocate of. So I hope you get something out of this episode, and thank you for listening. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is An Open Mind, and you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, Amelia, how are you doing? I'm good.
1: Good to see you again,
0: Robert. Yes, good to see you as well. We uh, we had spoke before about uh, the work that you're doing. Um, both in for your own self-discovery as well as the work that you're doing in, in writing your, your book that's coming up. And I wanted to talk uh, about your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you got to where you are today.
1: So I am, well, right now I'm a writer
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm writing a book. I'm writing a memoir on my experiences in my life that um, while well, it's rife with a lot of pain and struggle that started with a uh, rape uh, trauma traumatic experience when I was 19, which brought about a mental illness and which I live with today and forever. So I would like to share my experience with those who are going through it or people who are supporting people who are going through it. I really love that we're having this conversation because I wanna be part of the conversation that normalizes mental illness and eradicates rape culture. And the terrible thought of victim blaming, and let's talk about victim healing.
0: Yes, well, when you when this happened to you when you were nineteen, um, you know, and and you can this is this is in your ball. You have complete control of this, um, which is important to me, of course. What what was the results of afterwards? Because we hear of you know shame and all these things attributed to the, the victim of something like rape. Tell us a little bit about-
1: When it first happened to me, I think it was shock. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't understand what had happened. And being a, well, 19, you wouldn't think it's an adult, but really, I was really too young, too green to understand what was happening. And it's not something we talk about in our culture. You know, We talk about it as something bad, as something that happens to you if you do these things. Mm. If you go out in the, at the wrong hour of the night, if you're wearing the wrong kind of dress, if you are out with the wrong kind of people, if you have too much to drink, and all the list goes on and on, right? So if you do all those things, then something like this would happen. So when it happened, I thought I had done something. Right. I figured that I I checked all, all the items on the checklist, and so I, I landed myself there. And people around me affirmed that belief by blaming me and telling me that I asked for it. So that was a, that in itself was a traumatic experience.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's almost like a, what were you doing? Right. Versus like, what was this person doing? Is that correct?
1: Yes. And it's, it's not, I think it would have been very helpful if someone had asked me if I was okay. That wasn't even part of the conversation. The conversations were all around the event and what happened and how it it transpired and how I had done everything wrong to cause the event. So I think that I attribute that to our society, the way we talk about these events and these things. Mm -hmm. And so I did not get help. I was afraid because as any child would feel like I was afraid that I had done something wrong and so I didn't get help, and I never understood it or never accepted the fact that it was a violation until very recently. So it took me almost 20 years way into my adulthood for me to understand that acceptance of that being something that was a violation against my will.
0: So for 20 years, you thought that this horrible thing that happened to you you were under the impression that it was your fault.
1: Absolutely. I thought I should have been smarter. I was a smart girl. I should have known better and I should have done things differently. Had I not gone out that night or had I not done hung out with these people or had I not separated from my friends. I have all these reasons in my head that I thought that I could have changed the order of events had I done something different. Right. I played these sliding doors in my mind all the time you know the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow?
0: I haven't seen that had one. She
1: take, so, had she taken the, the train home and she would, have, she would have come home to some outcome and had she not, then she would have come to a different outcome. And I keep playing that in my mind. Had I done things differently, would this have changed? But now, I mean, after so many years of treatment, so many years of therapy and contemplation and trying to understand how I, there and how where I am today I think I understand now that there was it it doesn't really I mean it matters a lot because I became a different person Mm -hmm. I truly believe that the person I am is a different outcome than would than I would be had that not happened to me it was a huge major event in my life and so I accept that That I am but I also accept that I am who I am because everything had happened the way it it was supposed to have happened right and so I finally now feel I'd like to say I fully accept (laughs) this is a very new realization new acceptance but I'd like to say I fully accept that it was a violation and there was nothing that I could have done different to deserve something like that
0: right like none of this is your fault
1: that's
0: a difficult concept yeah yeah because when we talk to people um we always want to feel like we have responsibility right like we have some semblance of control right like oh you know that that breakup that I had and I was a bit of an ass right versus you know that can be empowering right this is what I did but in your situation realizing that well this isn't my fault you know there's, there's the healing there, right? Because if you're, if you're beating yourself up, there's a horrible thing that happens to you. And it's like, you know, you need to be kind to yourself, but you're not, that must just further be kind of pushing you into the, the, the mental health piece that you talked about.
1: And that's, well, that's the whole reason why I'm doing these things, right? I'm speaking out and I want to speak out because I want to be part of the conversation that, um, that stigma and the rape culture itself, everything around the rape culture is wrong. And I think that needs to change. And I felt this huge huge surge of empowerment when I was walking with my children in the Women's March. Mm. And you see all these Me Too signs, right? There was something about being with other women who have gone through the same thing and are standing up to this, and I felt like this is more important than ever, especially when I have my two little girls who are going to grow up, and I hope that these conversations will change their reality. Things will be different by the time they're young women themselves.
0: Well, I was uh, I was talking to my mother about something similar to this, <clears throat> similar to this, and how it's changed. Um, because when she when she was little, like things happened to her that she was like oh well, that's really weird not realizing like she so there was a an older man who was like trying to kiss her or whatever when she was like 12 which is different but she just kind of brushed it off because she knew that if she told her parents she was afraid that they'd be like well what were you doing right making it her fault and she's a a kid <laughs> Right. So yeah. what tell us a little bit about like rape, rape culture and, and the stigma, like what exactly is it from somebody who is very much trying to understand it?
1: This whole thing about <clears throat> we place responsibility on all these big things on a young woman. It's a very one sided conversation or one-sided piece, right? right? That everything that happens is the woman's fault. Everything that happens is to be born by the woman. You have created this sequence of events and therefore you will live with the consequences. That's just how life goes. Mm-hmm. And nobody actually, not nobody, I'm saying, I'm exaggerating, but extrapolating, but I'm saying that they're nobodies, right? It's elusive, they and us, and I feel like that's that. There's that huge culture of facing that whole responsibility of a violation that is committed by the other person,
0: right?
1: That's never brought into question. This is this is not like this is not like reported rape. Like of course, there's I never reported it. Mm. I never went to the police. I never reported reported an assault, reported an a rape, because because the culture told me that I would be at fault. The culture told me that if this is my understanding of the culture around us right So if I had gone for help, I would be the person to blame anyway. So therefore the perpetrator goes free. Yeah And this culture of making young girls, little girls believe that this is that this is this is within their power is very unfortunate and such a big burden for us to bear because this it's a very huge understanding
0: hmm.
1: to expect somebody so young as 19 years old to understand the weight of the traumatic experience and what should be done or shouldn't be done because we are only told what we would be doing wrong.
0: Right, right, yeah. And And again, being 19, I was a kid until I was 24. Um, We also think like, oh my, we, we, we second guess ourselves, right? We look at things not objectively, like what happened to me was wrong. We think of like, well, what the hell was I doing? Right.
1: You think of the ramifications and how you were part of the cause.
0: And also when, we share things with with other people, right? When we're like, oh my God, this happened to me. What really matters is what people say in response. Now, when you told people about what happened to you, what was their response?
1: So my experience was a case of bullying. Hmm. And so I, I didn't get to tell many people. People already knew. But I will never forget the one adult that I did go to, one of my professors at college. And I told her and she said, well, what did you expect hanging out with those thugs? That mm-hmm. was her response. And so I had no mercy or no concern or no direction or guidance on where to go with this.
0: A professor, I knew something was
1: wrong, but anyway, yeah.
0: What was she a professor of?
1: Yeah. Why, well, but rather not.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me her name. We're gonna dox her. That's now the person who. Um, but this is the...
1: again part of the culture.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, she's she's, she's part of like the culture. She person's... was
1: enacting. She was enacting the culture and enforcing mm-hmm. it upon me, instead yeah. of being able to step out and have empathy and concern, and love. For somebody else who had been violated or to be able to guide me as an adult, be able to guide me. So that was a big disappointment and a huge piece to the trauma and isolation I felt.
0: Yes, because I imagine that you were telling this person because you trusted them and you were expecting a very different response. I mean that's huge to tell somebody that this happened to you and then for that to be the response, I imagine that that's almost like another attack, in a yeah. sense. Is You're it? right, it
1: did, it did feel like attacks. Yeah. The way everybody responded, I felt attacked and I felt isolated and ostracized, and I was pushed into a corner.
0: And and what about the, the friends that you hung out with? I remember you talking a little bit about that and their response.
1: They all turned on me. I thought we were all friends and then I found out I guess we weren't and no one spoke to me and I was left to be by myself throughout the whole thing.
0: Did you have anybody that that understood this?
1: I had one friend, my best friend Cynthia, whom we have been friends now for more than what, I don't know, 25 years now. So she was the only one who was with me and stood with me but she was also like me, young and green, and had no idea to go, where to go with this information. And so I guess that helped in my survival and like having being able to get through each day, having someone with me. But I think the entire traumatic effect of everyone ostracizing me was tremendous on my, um, myself.
0: I I imagine it made you feel like you were the only one in the world. Like here's, here's this deal with it. Yeah. Right.
1: And I held on to that story for almost 20 years. And the only reason I'm coming out now is because I was having a conversation with my husband about our children. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, how much can you teach them about the world? How much can I give them to prepare them for a world that can be cruel and can be nasty and terrible for them? I pray they never come into a situation like this, but this book came about because I wanted to tell my story. They're now six and four. So they're really young. But my whole entire purpose in parenting is to prepare them for the world. Yes. And so this part, I want to write this book. I want them to understand what the world has done to me and how i fought back and how i'm still here and how i want it to be a safer place for them i want them to be stronger women to understand when things are act of their volition or when there is a violation against mm-hmm. them and so that's that's what brought about this speaking out about this after 20 years
0: well it's it's an incredible message right i mean we do need to change we we need to be able to talk about things and and not be judged for what what we say right like you know what were you thinking like well that's not that's not what i'm looking for i'm just looking for you to to listen right if going back to uh to cynthia right was she the example of what what you needed
1: Definitely part of what I needed.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: I, I definitely need it. I think back and think of how I would have done things differently. I wish I had had guidance of bringing, you know, bringing, bringing justice to, like, I wish I knew what to have done in that situation, somebody to tell me to report the, the, report the incident, or I'm not sure how I would have gone about it, but... I wish I had guidance from somebody who had more experience than I did in such things, but I didn't have that. But the loneliness, a loneliness can truly kill a person's insides. Yes. And you know, like, that's not something that was easy, especially being a young person who, you know, in your height of your social, social environment, like you're in the height of your social life during college, right? You're young and having that ripped away from me, Mm -hmm. having me build myself into adulthood in solitude was something that was very cruel and very tremendously traumatic. But yes, she gave me a safe place to go to and in in that moment in time when I was in total solitude.
0: And, and, you know, I mean, I think about like, what if you didn't have that, that one person, right? I know what happened. is yes. horrible, but imagine if you didn't even have the one person. And there's lots of people like that. Then hold. we have a, yeah.
1: Then we have a third sliding door.
0: Right. Yes. Right? Yes. So how how long have you been? How long have you and your husband been together?
1: We have been together for ten years. This this will be our eleventh year.
0: Well, congratulations! Yeah. Did he Thank know? You. Did he know about this?
1: Yes. He knew about this. So what happened was after the traumatic experience, I think not just the rape, but the rape and every on the aftermath caused so much stress on my system that it brought out bipolar. And so when I met my husband, when we were dating, he realized that was the first time I was under scrutiny, being so close with somebody. Very soon after we were dating, we were living together. So he, very unusual circumstances, but he, we were living together and he got to watch me, right? For the first time, there was somebody actually watching my ins and outs and what I was doing. And he realized there were things that were not rational, not logical. And he understood that there was something wrong. And that's when we sought treatment. And that's when I got my bipolar diagnosis, which retrospectively explained a lot of my behavior before. But... He, I, in that, in that knowing, in that mental illness, I had tested him a lot because it has PTSD, and I was diagnosed with PTSD and bipolar, and all these things does a lot of things to my mind in the sense of uh, feeling a sense of worth or trust in people. I was, I was, that was very difficult for me to have any faith and trust in anyone, and so I've tested him. And I tested him by giving him all the nasty truths. These are all my nasty truths. And do you still want to be with me? And somehow he said, yes, and we are married and we're still married now.
0: And so I, I think it sounds like he was another example of how, how to respond to this, right? Like, you know, he loves, he loves you, you know, warts and all. And as how does this say. World? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but, and that's and he, because he sees, he sees who you are. He doesn't see this. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, of course he sees it, but he sees through it. Like you are not a victim. He doesn't see you as a victim. He sees you as a person.
1: Yes. And he tells me, then we talk about it. And he's helped me through treatment and I have, I talk with professionals. I've talked therapy, but I also talk with my husband and he always says that these, the illness, the, the post-traumatic processing, all these things does not define you. Mm. It doesn't define you. It is just what has happened or what I have, but who I am is still who I am. Yes. And that's a very powerful belief to remind myself.
0: Yeah. Your, your core values, you know, who you are at your yeah. core, nobody yeah. can take that away from you, right? They could try, right? But you can't let them. The person that did this. Do you do you know who it was?
1: I knew who he was. He was a friend of friends. Mm-hmm. He kind of somebody on the periphery of our group, not somebody I knew well. And so,
0: is it is that also why you were afraid to tell people? Is because you kind of knew who this person was?
1: Well, I couldn't tell people because everyone knew the word went around. They spread like wildflower. Wildflower. I mean, just the word went out to everybody and I didn't get a chance to say my piece or chance to process what had happened ever. It was seven years, almost eight years, I think, before I started processing it. So for eight years, I kept it all. And then only in treatment did I begin talking about things.
0: So for seven years, the story in your head that was being circulated was that, you know, you were asking for it, whatever this was, this was something that you wanted, right? According to what this person was saying, yeah. you know, that was their quote unquote truth that they're telling everybody, but for you, you knew that wasn't right. And that cognitive dissonance of looking at this and it's like, well, but that isn't the truth, you know? that was causing you all this angst. Yeah. I understand. Well,
1: I didn't have much angst because until recently I didn't accept it. Right. Right, so like all that time, I just felt that this is a deep disappointment and deep grief inside of me that I allowed something like that to happen to myself. And that I had, I, I had a part in destroying myself, ruining myself, painting myself because I made a mistake.
0: Have you ever heard of uh, Gestalt, Gestalt? I think that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. And he he does the chair therapy, right? Have you heard of that? No. Okay. Well, uh, I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but I understand it is this. And I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. But essentially, you sit a person in a chair and you talk to them. Right, you talk to that person, right? It's not a time machine. You know, when people are like, oh, if you could go back and change things, it's like, well, I don't know how helpful that is because time machines don't exist. And if they did, we'd be in a world of trouble. Anyways, you sit the person down and you talk to them, right? So in your case, you would talk to yourself at 19 when this happened. And then you would talk to the person who did this to you. And it can be quite empowering. And I'm wondering, And, and, you know, you don't have to do this right now, but if you could go back in time, what would you say to the person that did this to you? Or would you say anything at all?
1: You cannot take responsibility for another asshole's act.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You cannot take responsibility for somebody else's decisions. And what happened was something that was wrong. And then you had no play in it. Nobody asked for things like this. This is, what that's why it's called rape, right? It's involuntary. Right. It's involuntary, and I wish you would understand that you did nothing wrong, and you were violated against, and you should not take responsibility for an asshole. Right.
0: This is yourself at 19. Yeah. Would you say anything to the the person who raped you?
1: I don't have words for that, Mm -hmm. because the angst has left me. I feel that he had made his decisions, whatever the reasons were, and those were the decisions he made. And I don't think there's any information that I could give him that would be new information that you ruined my life or you ruined me. Like, would that not already be a consideration Mm -hmm. or thought, you know? So I don't think I have anything to say.
0: And, and I think that says a lot.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm accepting it, right? So there's no, there's no. To me, I've already resoluted my mind to not digging up things again, right. kicking dust into the air, because there is no point to that. Yeah, nothing I can do in this world can change what has happened. However, how I carry that pain and turn it into power and strength and empowerment, for now my purpose is to help others who are like me and to prepare a world for my children. That's where I'm at. And so what he did and who he is or where he is no longer concerns me.
0: Mm. I think that's a pretty empowering statement for yourself. Right? Like he is, he's nothing.
1: Inconsequential.
0: Yeah.
1: He is inconsequential. His acts had great gravity on my life. Right. But him as an individual in my space is inconsequential.
0: By what you've told me, your ability to take this whole, this, you know, I, and I'm using my words here, and I apologize, but this horrible thing that happened to you, and change that energy into something of healing, not just for yourself, but for others, for your daughter, your daughter, excuse me. That's
1: my daughters. I have yeah,
0: two. Yes, daughters. Yeah. yeah, that is of significance. That is, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Like. Things happen to us, and we don't let them destroy us. But they, we, we turn it into like something positive and creative that can change the way that we see things, like rape, right? The it's culture. It's a huge rape. thing,
1: right? Because right. it's not just the rape. Now the rape has brought brought out my bipolar. Mm-hmm. And now I don't know whether I would the bipolar, the latent part of bipolar, would have surfaced had right. that not happened. However, what I do know is there's a strong probability, a high probability that such an immense stress and trauma in my experience has brought it to surface. And now we were talking about like how I'm changing that and empowering myself really is a shift and redirection in my vision and purpose because in my depressive states, a lot of times, even in my hypomanic states, I have bipolar too, where I have hypomanic and mixed episodes as well as the defining long, prolonged major depressive episodes. Right. So in either episodes, I find myself circling around the feeling of worthlessness and a loss of sense of belonging and inability to do anything. And suicidal ideation is the hugest part of it. And I have attempted it several times. Right. So by some fluke, or just plain idiocy idiocy and like not incompetence, I'm here, but for some reason I'm still here.
0: I'm very glad you're
1: here. I'm very glad too. And I tell myself now that, I mean, I, I don't tell myself, I have come to a realization that I am here for a reason. Yes. I believe I'm spiritual in nature and I believe in the higher power I believe in our interconnectedness that you and I we are all connected in this world and I'm this I love connecting with nature because it makes me feel like this tiny piece of the universe mm. just as every leaf every droplet every grain of sand has its purpose I must I must this being this intellectual being that I am must have some purpose and what that is I don't know I have not found it with true clarity what it is but i understand that there is a purpose for me and i got to keep trudging along until like i until that purpose is brought to light for me yes. and so that's what keeps me going the sense of purpose right.
0: well in in victor frankl he talks about that logo therapy in uh in man's search for meaning you know we we have to find purpose that's our, our, I know this sounds strange, but our purpose is to find purpose. When we live our lives inconsequentially, you know, bad things happen. We despair and we harm others, right? But when we have a purpose, you know, and and for example, I think my purpose is to be a father and to just listen to others and share their stories. But I
1: think the purpose changes over time, right? 100%. As you evolve, yeah. as we grow. You know, as things, our experiences change and we, we become a different unit, like when I was myself and then when I got married and then yes. I my children, then I had the community around me, things change and we evolve. And that's, that's how, that's what we were meant to do. Yeah. We're evolving creatures. We're creative creatures. And so I feel like just that's that thought of seeking purpose. I think that's good. But also, it becomes difficult, and it does. In my sense of when I'm in when I'm in a bad place, it's difficult mm-hmm. to say I want to seek purpose. I want to I want to be something. I don't know what it is. It becomes frustrating. It becomes overwhelming. Yes, and it's a heavy thing to carry. So for me, what has been useful is this understanding that there is a purpose, and, I, and it's absolutely okay to live my life the way I see right right now in this moment to live in this moment and the purpose will come to me. Mm. And that's 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 like when I wrote my book. When I started writing, I'm I'm finished with my first draft. But when I first started writing it, Congratulations, it was about it was thank you. It was about something else. But mm. as I wrote it, I found a different purpose. As I was writing and I was talking about my experiences and I realized this is larger than myself. This is a memoir of my experiences, but this is about a lot of other people who don't understand these.
0: Mm.
1: Who other people have people around them who don't understand what's going on. And I want to be part of that conversation that allows them to step into our world of people who experience the same experiences as me and understand and have empathy and and provide support and unconditional love, which is truly needed because it is a very difficult and painful and isolating experience through bipolar.
0: And I wanna talk about the the writing process for you as well, but uh, bipolar, when we hear about things like mental illness, we try to understand them through like a (laughs) concrete lens, right, like this is what it is, it's X, Y, Z, but mental illness, because it's the brain and it's the body, it's actually it's it's you know it's very individual. So a lot of people they understand bipolar as you know that like magnetic thing and you go, and you go this way
1: or that way.
0: Yeah. It, so you have the 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 depressive state, right? And then this one is like the high functioning sort of hyperactive state. Ch-. That's a, that's the stereotype, if you will. Are you able to stereotype
1: Sorry. Oh, hey, wait, I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 please don't apologize. I, what I was hoping to say is, is that what it's like for you? Or are you able to share with us what bipolar is like for you?
1: So I can I can explain what bipolar is for me, but they have a manual that's this thick that talks yeah. about mental illnesses. And I the bet DSM, that a really yeah. part of it is bipolar, yeah, the DSM. Yeah. And so that's, and if you will see, there's a range of things that people go through. Expected. And from what I, even when I experience it, it has differed from one episode to a different, I can have two hypomanic epito- episodes and both manifest itself in different ways. So for me, let's just run through like the laundry list of like what it looks like. i hypomanic, I can be the life of the party, I'm creative, I'm funny, I'm humorous, I'm uninhibited, and like it's all out because I, I feel this grandiose feeling of like a huge, grandiose feeling that mm. I can now be whatever it is that I want to be. Now, rational mind sits aside and says, "Whoa, you—you need to reel it back." <laughs> but I don't. I can't. Yeah. I just cannot. I keep going because I feel like that's the right thing. I'm gonna—I'm gonna take the day. Yeah. I'm feeling good today, yeah. and I think I'm feeling good, and therefore I'll do all these things. Or it could also be I'm impulsive. Mm. I overspend my husband comes back and says, did you just spend (laughs) this much today? You know, like, and things like that, I don't even realize because I'm sitting there on Amazon thinking, oh yeah, I could use some of this. Oh yes, I could use some of that. That And that's the non-rational mind. It's the non-rational mind that's doing this. And then it's, I'm constantly in angst or constantly in anxiety. I have anxiety over taking anxiety medicine. I have social anxiety. I can walk into a room for a dinner party and I sit in my car and i wonder if I should get out. I get to the door, run back to the car mm-hmm. and sit and then think, and then I have this whole thought process. Should I go in or they think I'm stupid or they don't actually want me here. Mm-hmm. They just invited me because they had to invite people. Blah, 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 blah goes on in my mind. And then I have to refrain using the tools that I've received the treatment. Right. To understand you have two choices. Down the pill, take the pill so you can feel relaxed and you can be there. And then I have anxiety over that. What if I'm then just a shell of a person and I have no thoughts of my own and I'm blank, I'm blacked out and I'm just there. And then I don't want to take it. But then I have to like then train my CBT mind. How get me through this? Get me through this. How do I talk myself through this? And it's a very exhausting yes. experience.
0: you're on overdrive.
1: All the thoughts.
0: Yeah. Your yeah, brain is all like... the
1: time. <laughs> yeah. Mine is racing, racing thoughts, rapid speech, all those things. And people might think like, Oh, she is just super energetic or crazy or, or most times they think that I'm high functioning. They think mm. I have my shit together, <laughs> which really it not But those are the good parts that come out of it. Right. But whenever I go too high, the bad part of it is where it drops. Right. It drops into a deep, 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 deep depression and I'm stuck and I'm my mind plays games on me and i I have suicidal ideation and I'm feeling worthless and I'm feeling useless and I'm a failure and all these thoughts come to my mind and then it becomes debilitating and I'm paralyzed from being able to do anything. Yeah. So what people think, I think the stereotype of bipolar is people doing dangerous things are people doing laying in bed and not being able to get up because both of those things eighty percent of the time nobody sees because what you see is a mother who takes her kids to school a, a mother who attends the school functions volunteers and that's all these things supports my husband shows up at dinner parties you know you see this Picture of a person that you have no idea the invisible struggles I have to go through to present myself or to be present. And I think a lot of it comes from my children because I don't want more than anything in this world. I do not want to screw up their childhood or their life experience. And so I do these things. I push myself to do these things but it's with immense pain that
0: I do it. I know your your children have been, such an incredible influence on your life, right? I know my daughter has, you know, like I am who I am today because of her and like, what a gift, truly. And what do you think your kids see when they see you? What do you think your kids see?
1: So I think like the question is like, how you have to have a picture about how my household functions. Well, because when you see,
0: sorry, I I want to kind of turn it around here for a sec. When your kids see you, you mom, what do you think that they see? Like, how do they see you?
1: Oh, they see me as a perfect mother. I mean, children, there's no—I don't think children could love anybody else as much as they love their own parents, right? I don't think that it's possible, even if it's a terrible parent, even if it's a, you know, however terrible things kids are designed. It's that it's innate.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: imprinting on their parents is innate and it cannot be taken away, it cannot be changed.
0: Right. So then then what you're saying, and and I agree with this, is that your daughters see you as like a hero. Yes.
1: They're incredibly proud of everything I do. My daughter now wants to be like me. She's asked for a computer for her Christmas present. She's asked for a leather bound notebook because that's what I carry around. Right. I have a leather bound notebook. And she wants all these things because she's, now she wants to be a writer like her mother.
0: Well, you were telling me last and time about your daughter and she's like pretty spectacular with all the things that she's doing.
1: She's amazing. She, well, she is profoundly gifted. Mm -hmm. And so she does a lot of extraordinary things. And with that come the challenges of also now added challenge for me to upkeep those things because she's still a child and a lot of what she wants to do, I have to facilitate. Yes, And so that is an added stressor for me, but I try and we try the best we can. Sometimes she gets disappointed. Sometimes Mm -hmm. mommy, mommy's just not up for it or this is too much for me. I can... I have well, I have to take care of my health in order 100%. to be able to like to be there in the big picture, right? Yeah. But she has an environmental campaign that she runs and I help her run her Facebook page and her website. And we do events. I host events for her and she is the center of attention and everything. And she is amazing at it.
0: Are you are you okay sharing what that page is? So people oh, yeah. can check it out.
1: Sure, it's called Maya Mina's Last Straw.
0: My, okay. Oh! Uh, it's page. Uh,
1: it's lilstrawgirl.org.
0: Yeah, against straws, right? Because of the environment. Against oh, plastics,
1: okay. single-use plastic. Yeah. And she's spoken to, she's given several speeches at the university to stakeholders and industry holders.
0: So So think about that. Would she have been able to do that if she didn't have a supportive mother?
1: absolutely not
0: there you go right
1: I get that and I get that and I I'm there is a pos there is a huge positive spin on all this it's oh, not yeah. all doom and gloom in my life oh, is I, ruined. I, yes I have this right so this is this is good that you brought this up like I guess said how my how my family has to go around my life mm. it looks like it looks like they are I don't know like it, it's very unconventional my children can make their own lunches. And they can make good decisions on what lunches they want, because we educate them, preparing them for times when mommy's not going to be available. And when that happens, they click into, oh, mommy's not well mode, therefore I should brush my teeth and I should do all my chores by myself, I should go get lunch for my sister, we should get ready and like things flow still, even if I'm not well, because we have raised our children that way. And it's very unconventional compared to a lot of other parents, a lot of other families, because my children are very young. And of course we do it in a safe way. They understand what they can and cannot do. And we are still around in the house with them. But the fact that they can do that to me is extraordinary. It's so special. And they do it because they're empathetic, because they understand the pain I'm going through. They may not understand the pain, but they understand that I am going through pain. And the generosity of their love and kindness. And all these things, I don't think you can can tangibly teach through lessons or whatever. These are things that you have to experience in life. And I feel like this has come as a blessing that my children, my children more than anything in the world, I want them to be kind. Yes. And I think this, Experience that helped them understand what being kind means. Giving up the things that you want to do because someone else is not feeling well. Like dealing with the disappointments. And then embracing the good days. And being present in the moment. Oh, my children, if they are to enjoy a day, they truly enjoy a day. Everything they want to do. and They don't take it for granted. They're just happy.
0: never yeah
1: and that's that's because they know there might be days that i won't be able to do anything Mm -hmm. and i think this experience has taught us like this is not the way everybody's family functions but this is how ours but truly like how does everybody's you know
0: you should see my family (laughs) holy smokes yeah yeah yeah
1: right whatever the chaos if i if i if if,
0: if i didn't have a neck i'd lose my head you know what i mean like yeah, I it, it, that,
1: that is parenting children yeah. right parenting little children. And so for us this is our reality and I believe wholeheartedly that it is growing my children into stronger beautiful, kind empathetic people that the world needs.
0: yes Well so that's and, good oh, there is good and and changing the stigma again not only around things like rape culture but also mental mental health, right? Because a lot of and us, and they
1: understand this. Yeah. They understand mental health now. We are six and four, and they understand mental health. My yeah. mind is not well. I'm saying things I wouldn't say. I'm so, and that, that taught us further into parenting how involved our parenting has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to sit down and say, "Well, I'm dead. I have something called bipolar. There's some days that I'm not myself. Some days I'm really mean." or I'm irritable and I just need you to step away because I don't want you to be in the line of fire when I'm in that mood. It's not your fault. Yeah. yeah, Mommy's just not well. And there's something that happens in mommy's mind. Then I have to take my medications. I have to rest. Or I have to do these things so I can feel better. So if you can give me that space, I promise you, I'll feel better. And then we can get back to all the things we want. And the conversations vary, like you know, around those things. Or I'm really sad right now and I'm crying and I don't know why I'm crying. And sometimes I just feel like that. And to be honest with them yes. allows them to accept and understand what can and cannot be in their life. And I want them to be allowed to feel things. I want be, I want them to be allowed to vocalize these things, to verbalize them, to put those emotions into words and be able to say and and they're good at it they've gotten pretty good at it sometimes i say hey you know like i it really stresses me out when the playroom looks like this and it's a weekend and all i have to do is clean your playroom then you're like okay (laughs) i i'll clean it but let me tell you there's something in my heart that's really really heavy and it doesn't feel like it wants to do this and i just have some frustration i need to get out first so then I can do this. But just so you know, I'm not happy about doing
0: this.
1: <laughs> you know, like it's a long explanation, but it, yeah. it, it mimics the, the, the conversation that we have with them.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that in my mind is effective.
0: And and you're changing it around because bringing it back to you when you were 19, and we talked about this last time, you and me when, when we were just talking, but you didn't share it with your parents. Now, and by by you doing this, you are educating your kids. You're teaching them that they could talk to you about whatever. And kids yes. need, that's a message that they need for the 21st century. Yes. You know, they need I to be able to talk to yeah.
1: and, and I have a, I have a, I realized that like parents might not be the only, the only source. And so I have a group, a group, I say I have two or three friends really close friends who are in contact with them. They're not here, they're all in different countries. Yes. But we keep in contact with them and they feel they call them Aunt Jenny and Aunt Sarah. and, And we have this relationship where I feel it's so important to blanket them with this tribe, that if you cannot talk to me and you do not feel comfortable talking to me, well, you will have these trusted adults around us. And I hope you use them as a source.
0: That's an excellent point. I mean, it's not just like, it's not just m- me, you know, mom and dad. It's you got all these people on your side.
1: It's, accept- it's accepting your flaws. Yes. Or inadequacies. Not as a not as a negative fact. Of, of it's like your
0: limitations. Negative
1: you. It is, we are all limited. Yeah. We all have limitations. And if we recognize that we have limitations, right, then... Then we
0: can provide what is best. Yeah. We, we, so
1: that's you know, my we, thoughts on it. No, I, I, I agree. That's my no, I,
0: yeah, well, I, I mean, your, your, your lived experience, right? So you know from practicality, right? The more positive people in a kid's life, the better their outcome. Right. It's going back to your own experiences. You only had Cynthia in your life. Like imagine if you had more people and I don't want to go down that road, but I'm just saying like the more people in our lives who we can be real with, the better. Right. You know.
1: And for people around us to not be assholes. (laughs) Yes. You know, for people around us, the whole culture has to change Mm. for that to happen it is impossible for us to expect each and every one of us to change by by self volition because it is a whole societal like misconception misguided conception of all these perceptions of all these things that are happening and if everybody around us understands it then they will be able to guide my children right right they will be able to guide our children they will be able to eradicate this whole pain and struggle that children are having to go through. Or if young people, young women, or or young men. You know, like they are, people being raped are not just women. Uh, yes. All people.
0: Yeah.
1: But the rape culture around it is so constricting that your choices of help are so limited because even if people want to help, the understanding is not fully there yet. Yeah. And that needs to be there. And that's where this eradication of the stigma is so, so, so important. And affect our children.
0: I yeah. Well, I and I don't know the stats, but I know it is something in like it's mind-blowing how many people experience rape. I think, isn't it like one in four women or something like that?
1: I'm not sure this it's really of rape,
0: it's but it's yeah but but so much of it is undocumented like so many people yes. who are raped you know they're it's not reported so what's the biggest change you would like to see in the culture around that what's what's one change you'd like to see maybe you can't narrow it down to you know the biggest one but what's one change you'd like to see the
1: biggest change I, I come again to my children and I imagine the world that they'll be in yeah and i wanted the place where people are attacking the attacker yeah you know or yeah. not attacking the attacker but the shift yeah. of conversation of what was he doing yeah. what did he do
0: what was this person doing
1: why yes yeah. and focus on that rather than i mean you listen to the story of like brock turner and all that right like what he was doing at the party and where he met the girl and then you found him at a dumpster and then the ramifications were not satisfactory. But I mean that's a whole different nutshell. Like, but my point was that what happened to that girl? Yeah. You know, and then like the stories that I read when I read was like, oh, that she was she was so drunk and she was like stumbling out of the party and in my thoughts, why is that an element that is important for us to learn? Yeah. Why do we need to know how she was stumbling out of the party? Not not relevant, not relevant. If somebody is assaulting somebody, then we need to talk about that somebody. We need to, and we talk about, I don't have voice, but I have friends who have voice. And we talk about the importance of, ra- importance of raising our boys to not be those people. Yes, you talk about girls about protecting yourself, but we need to talk about boys about protecting girls. Mm -hmm. But we need to talk about boys. Well, I'm very, I'm very clear about what I would teach my children. If they, if I had a boy, I would raise him to be a respectable, a kind, a human that such violations are not even within your purview. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. That should be the conversation. What are we teaching our boys? Yeah. When something like this happens, that boy has an issue. Yeah. What, Let's focus on that
0: issue. Yeah. It should, his thought process should have been, I need to help this person, not I need to hurt this person. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Or take advantage.
0: Yeah. Well, could be. Yeah. Now, your book, um tell us a little bit about that because uh you know i i want to get people interested in this i want them to pick up your book so i think it's in a, I, it's we talked book. about
1: so much here you Yeah. Know, we talk so much here but it doesn't cover like, it's hard to give oh. you all my experiences yeah. right and all the things that brought me to where i where i am today where i was who i had been and the whole process of processing trauma and processing bipolar disorder, living with it, my husband living with it, my family living with it, and how I partake in the community with it. All these things, I want people to see the realities, the realities that we go through. And hopefully, I really hope that somebody who's going through it understands that they're not alone and there is hope. There is a way. I don't know what that way is for each and every one of us, but I can share my way and how I've come through. And I hope that inspires or that helps somebody hold on and people who are not privy to the illness, who doesn't understand how these things work, hopefully they will get an idea and have more compassion and empathy empathy for unconditional help, help and love for people who are going through it.
0: When is the, when and when is the book slated to be out
1: it's not slated yet we're still in the editing process but i do have short writings on my um, website great i do a short i do some shorts there for people to get a glimpse of my life and not all the details that are in my book because i got to save something for the book (laughs) that's smart but but you get but you get an idea of like what my mind goes through and how how I process life and I, how I process parenting and how I process friendships, relationships that are all affected.
0: What's the, what's the name of your, your website that people can check out your writing.
1: It's Amelia mm-hmm. But my Zachary is spelled a little funny. Yeah. It's Z A C H R Y. Okay. Six letters.
0: I love it. Now, last question for you as you've been writing and the more that you're getting this out there and you' your you know these things that are inside you you're just getting them out do you find that the mental health aspect of the bipolarity is it becoming a little bit less or is it still just the um, way it was
1: I it's so I'm stable on my talk therapy and my medications right now mm-hmm. but I do feel a little swing every now and again I feel it coming and then I do the things that I can do to manage it. I tear down my work or I step, I take a step back or I start doing things a little spread out. And like I, I have all these tools that I've learned through therapy over all these years that I try and I like use all the time. And I think because I've been in therapy for so long, I'm more cognizant of what's going on in my mind and my body. And so I'm able to use those tools. Before we we go on, Robert, I wanted to talk about something really, 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 really important. Of course. So I had a conversation with somebody recently which made me think that this is such an important thing to talk about. So if you know somebody who is going through some mental health issues, how do you support them? Or what is going on? Right? I I want people to understand that, that Number one, in my experience, it was very difficult. I was overwhelmed to even vocalize, to verbalize what it was that was actually going on. I didn't understand. It's a physical feeling. My mind goes buzzing. My ears are hot my heart is racing. I feel like my skin is crawling. But how do you tell someone like, this is what I'm feeling without scaring them away? But that's how I'm feeling. And then there are these lists of things that you have to do in life. Everybody has those lists, right? And then people think like, and some people fall so far that, you know, they fall into a very difficult, someone I talked to fell into a very difficult place and couldn't get out. And the remark I'm getting from people around her was that all she has to do is A, B, C. All she has to do is A, B, C and she'll get out of it and all this will be fine. But the understanding needs to be from compassion and empathy and understanding that ABC is not easy. Yeah, It's not easy for me to like be able to just charge my brain to stop it from buzzing or stop it from screaming so I can then focus on these one, two, three things. And it's not all the time that I'm in these episodes. I'm not in one right now, right? I'm here, I'm I'm stable, I'm okay to talk to you. But when I am in those episodes, it is difficult to do ABC. It's difficult to get up and brush my teeth in the morning. So if you are going to be a support system for somebody or you want to offer support, then one, try to understand that there are things that you will not understand. Number one, you have to do that. There cannot be any expectations of if you do this if you had just done the things i told you you would be fine if you only do these things things will go better for you that needs to go away and then the understand be having the empathy and unconditional love which i know is a lot to ask for for people but if you can and if you're willing to show that love and unconditional love and helping without conditions. If I help you with this, then I expect you to be better. Understanding things that you don't understand that might not happen. But the person may be an inch closer. I might be an inch closer to doing what needs to be done because somebody is showing me some compassion and love. And that needs... That needs to be consistent, as far as you can. Or if you cannot be consistent, then help that person get help. Yes. Get professional help. I couldn't do my. I couldn't get professional help until my husband got involved. He wow. sat with me. He sat with me at my first appointment, and he spoke to the doctor while I sat there, Mom, I had no words to say. I had nothing to say. I did not even want to be there. I'm not crazy. I don't need to be here.
0: There's that stigma, right?
1: Yeah, it's a stigma about getting help. But they convinced me because they showed me the stats. Well, you tried to jump in front of the subway. Mm. Well, you tried to do these things. Well, you're not eating and you're not sleeping. And you're in bed for three days, four days in a row. So these are not good signs. And then my logical mind has to accept, (laughs) right? Like, okay. I guess that's not very productive. I guess there's something wrong. But he stood by me and he made me go to these treatments. And he sat with me through the treatments. He did homework with me. The homework that I was supposed to do, he sat with me and said, okay, let's go question one. Can you answer this? And then when I couldn't answer, he said, well, I think that you do this and this. So I think this answer is yes. All right, let's go question two. And that he had to baby me, as absurd as it sounds, right? That was what I needed, and I don't know what everybody else needs, but in my experience, those were the things I needed. You know, because it was overwhelming to look at a form, a questionnaire. It was overwhelming for me to look at a questionnaire and read. The, I couldn't read. I couldn't read the words on the page. Mm-hmm. In my states, I I have to run through like three or four times one sentence to read it before I could understand it, and that was overwhelming, and I didn't want to do it. But him sitting with me and helping me through it. Got me through it and got me help. So I hope that this is a message to whoever's listening out there. If you have somebody who could use some help, offer it with compassion, offer it with love and with an open mind and understanding that their reality is, my reality is my reality. I don't care what you think. You can tell me my life is good and that I have beautiful children and everything is wonderful. But the reality that I live in, in my mind is my reality. So whoever's helping me will need to get with that reality and be with me and hold my hand and get me through it. So I hope there are as many people as I'm sure there are. I was just lucky to find my husband, but I'm sure a lot of people, well-meaning people want to help and want to be part of it, but just don't know how to. And I hope this helps with that.
0: That's a, that's an excellent message, Amelia. I mean, if you know, if what you're saying, what, what I'm picking up from what you're saying is, is that we just need to be present with people. We can't just say, you know, oh well, you need to meditate, right, and then walk off, right, be dismissive. Yeah. We need to just be present, you know, and like you say, help them find what they need, support them yes. in finding what they need
1: support so. them in finding what they need not yes. what you think they need
0: exactly supporting them in what they need yeah no i i like agree say,
1: like say i have i have a doctor's appointment and i call you and i say can you take me there please and you might be like well you have a car why can't you drive there mm-hmm. don't make me come up with an excuse about why mm. the message there and underlying message there is i need to go to this appointment i can't get myself there I need somebody, I know I need to get there, but I can't get myself there, I can't get into my car, I cannot think of driving, will you just take me? But I'll never say those words. Right. It's difficult. It's difficult enough to reach out and ask for help, but then to have to like justify why you need it with so much weakness and flaw is something that's very difficult. So just have empathy and
0: love and 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 asking people, like you're right. It's 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 that question of you know, what do you need from me? How can I how can I support you? You know, questions of. You want to empower the person, you know, and not just assume you know what they need, right? Yes. Trying to like because you say,
1: that's usually wrong.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're all individuals, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Look, there's somebody's breaking into the room.
1: Who's that?
0: This this is my daughter. So Amelia, thanks to you and your message, this will help people like my daughter, be a better person. She's even saying hi. (laughs) Hey, okay. Say hi. This is Sophia. Sophia. This is Amelia. Well, I have to feed her breakfast. So Amelia, thank yeah. you so much for your message. And it's it's powerful, it's important. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me and having this important conversation. I hope people get what they need.
0: They will. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye now. Once again, that was Amelia Zachary. You can check out her webpage at ameliazachary.com. She has a book coming out scheduled for next year where she shares her stories. Um, Probably the most important thing that I got out of this for myself is changing our conversations of one of uh, sort of shame and blame to just giving people the space they need to share their stories. And I know in my own life, and you've probably seen and heard in in the episodes, that I sometimes like to to take the space. And it's not intentional. It's it's almost a reaction. And that is something I want to get away from, is letting people speak and and giving them uh, a chance to use their voice to create a better world. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day. See you soon. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.